We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. We're back in the Roto Grinder streets. Alex, are you gonna are you gonna chill for a little bit, or are you uh, are you heading out? Uh, I'm game. Yeah, <laughs> dude, dude, it's my wife. She's watching the kids. Okay, draw some of that sharpness, Alex. Whatever, <laughs> whatever you need to drop off, uh, you're fine. But yeah, let's uh, let's get right into it. The people in the chat did remind me I meant to do some alternates. I will do a couple alternates at the end of the show. Uh, I should have done that. I uh, I will do that. I have the the list up. We'll do that at the end. But let's get into the to the meat. The meat and potatoes of the show here. I got Sammy Reed. Now, Sammy, I think of you these days more as a cash game player, mostly from your appearances on the Gilcast, where you guys pretty much exclusively talk about cash games. But where would you say are you about even cash and GPPs, or are, are you skewing more towards cash? No, I definitely skew more towards cash. And I think it's because I don't think I'm a good GPP player. Like, I really have tried to work on my game a lot this year. Um, but at the end of the day, I think you really need to know what your strengths and weaknesses are and you need to be honest with yourself. And, and I have no problem saying, I don't think I'm that strong of a GPP player. And I've been doing a lot of stuff this year, man. Like just, just trying to, you know, listen to guys like Blender and uh, Pete Overset, who's now a real thought leader when it comes to GPPs, but really work on my game and try to get better at them. Because you know, when when you're not when you're not smashing them, you got to be like, okay, what am I doing wrong? And Sammy, I know I like I hear you guys talk about your cash game lineups and that you'll have your kind of shell throughout the week and and you're tweaking it. At what point in the week are you starting to create your GPP lineups? You know, it usually GPP. So I like to get cash down first because I feel like cash is very 
cash you want to have value, right? To me, cash is all about value. And GPP lineups are kind of all about making a lineup that makes sense, right? So those are two really different things. Um, And and having cash really kind of lets you be sensitive to who people are playing, which is obviously a really important thing in GPP. So I really like to get that part down first. Um, I tend to not make my GPP lineups until like the night before, like Saturday night. Um, and then, and then cash, like, dude, I build it on like Thursday and then I'm tweaking it throughout all the way till Sunday. Yeah. So then, uh, what happens with, and I can't even remember now from the Gil cast, but when we get a late piece of breaking news, like Tony Pollard last week, are you tearing down your lineup and starting from scratch there? Or are you making a swap off of your shell? Yeah, so you should, I mean, you should really know, you know, Levitan talked about like his want plays and his like must plays. And I, I do think that's a really good way to think of things. So you have, you know, generally a couple guys in every, in your cash lineup who you are just playing and it's just happening. So you need to work around those guys. But generally I will like click out of every other player and start anew from that sense. So I'll start with like four guys who are like locks and go from there. And like just talking about the Pollard news, you know, Pollard was a guy who, you know, we, we talked about it on the Guildcast. We believed in him so much. Like when he got into the starting lineup, he was like a must play. And then we realized that in GPPs, he wasn't like that owned. You know what I mean? Because people are slow to react to the late breaking news. And that's a big lesson that I learned, man. It's like when you get that late breaking news, you can actually over leverage it. Um you know, it, because the field isn't reacting as strongly to it. And I didn't last week. Like, I didn't swap to 100% Pollard in all my GPP lineups. That was a mistake, right? So lesson learned. Yeah, Alex, I don't know. Did you have – how did you process the Pollard news? Because I – I, I my, everyone went through these levels, right, where it's like obviously he's a jam. And then – but then there's – I was listening to Eric Beinfor on the Theory of DFS podcast with Blender, and he was saying, you know, he's playing in the super small field, higher stakes buy-ins, and he was worried that he was going to be mega-owned. And so then he didn't want to get there. That ended up not happening. What kind of thought process do you go through for tournaments with with late-breaking news like that and then trying to anticipate what the field's going to do without established ownership projections? Well, first, being a de- living the dad life, I got to catch the news. <laughs> That's the first step. The first step is being there to catch the news. Um, I missed the Ronald Jones news two weeks ago because I think it was in the last 15 minutes. And oh, we're getting like a Christmas you, tree. And it was just like it was a Christmas tree and getting – coats on the kids like real people go through this stuff all the time i mean i take this very seriously it's my primary income and i miss some news on it i can't imagine how many people are missing news that's 90 minutes beforehand so what makes sense on value on a thursday is different than what makes sense in value on a sunday at 10 30 a.m central standard time so uh i respect eric a lot i think eric's one of the sharpest dudes in the business i play the same tournaments as him and I've faded, you know, like the Mike, it was the Mike Davis, Duke Johnson week at the same week when they were both 4K. Um, and I made the, I didn't really fade them, but I only played one at a time instead of jamming both in. And Eric was saying that morning, fade them both. It was a really sharp call. But I think with Tony Pollard news, that was so close. And the price was just good enough to suppress ownership. Like it wasn't going to be 65%. You know, I thought like if this comes out to 30% and I jam in 100%, I'm cool. Yeah. I'm good. Yeah, the Ronald Jones one was actually one of, I think, one of my bigger mistakes I've made in the past few weeks because I had him in my lineup before that news. I thought he was a really good tournament play. He's going to come in at 5%. Yeah, and, then Fournette, and then Fournette scratches, and I don't even think his role changes <laughs> at all, and the ownership jumps 25%, but I was already yeah. anchored to that play. 
that I just couldn't bring myself to pull it out. And I was so mad at myself because I, I love Ronald Jones at 5% there, hate him at 30% in yeah. that spot. So I need to get better at reacting to that stuff as well. Sammy, do you find yourself hedging your cash game lineups with your GPPs? Do you find yourself using a core from your cash and then spinning off? How does that cash GPP interplay work for you? Yeah, so sometimes in in the single entries, I will build that single entry off of the cash lineup, right? Um, because single entries, like you generally don't need to get super wacky, uh, but at the same time, like you do not want your cash lineups in there. So I think sometimes you kind of want to like, I'll take my cash lineup and then I'll, I mean, sometimes I'll change 75% of it. Like it, it really depends, but you know, you want to start getting some correlations in there. You just don't want to like throw in something that you're trying to win the millionaire maker with. Cause you don't have to outlast like hundreds of thousands of people, uh, but you really want to understand those leverage points, right? Like, you know, this week, if, if David Montgomery's in your cash lineup, I might throw my cash lineup out there and take Montgomery out and build like a Trubisky stack instead something like that, but really understand the, the different points that you want to get to leverage-wise. Yeah. Yeah, Alex, is that similar for you? How do you spin off your your cash game lineup into GPP lineups? That's what I did when I was a 100-man player. Um, I started playing tournaments, playing 100 bands, and once I got into the single entry and three-max mode, um, I started kind of treating it like baseball. So I, something clicked in my head with Korean baseball. Um, like, I, I was playing baseball cash games as I was analyzing baseball as baseball and with Korean baseball I didn't understand these guys I didn't know them I was at access to like 20% of the information that I normally do I had to actually play DFS and I had to implore that I had to employ that DFS game theory toward something I didn't really understand and when I did that and I was stacking in ways that didn't quote make sense as Sammy would put it I started winning because I was making correlations that made sense and so I do that with my single entry and three max lineups. I try to take two or three games that make sense and I stack the only shit out of them. You know, <laughs> yeah. it might be a three and one, it might be a three and two, it might be two, two and a secondary stack that's two, two. Uh, but I try to find games that make sense and I kind of build them like a baseball GPP lineup. It's funny. Um, I, really, I really like this point because, you know, you remember a couple of years ago, a lot of people were surprised when some of the big name pros were saying, hey, like, I don't really watch the games. I don't even know that much about this sport and yet I crush it. Right. Do you think having that detachment from it kind of, kind of helped you out and gain some like forest for the trees perspective on it? Probably in terms of Korean baseball, you're asking. Yeah. Because I had no biases toward, you know, a certain guy making too much contact or not enough contact or, you know, I didn't think about those things. I just looked at the numbers and I had some really raw, raw fucking numbers to look at, you know, um, I didn't have I didn't have any stat cast numbers. I didn't have Woba. Um, I just had to go. No yeah. Woba, man. You were you were really out I there. Know. You were flying over the line. It's funny that it, that exact dynamic you described was the light switch moment for me. The turning the corner was playing all of these sports throughout quarantine, League of Legends, MMA, PGA, sports I had never played where I have no biases. I know nothing, but I learned how to play the games of DFS all those things all season long in the dynasty i have all these biases guys and i was the analogy i was using i had to say because i didn't their color prospect you know all the stuff that i do in that experience of playing those other games is your audio out peter 
Can you oh, hear me, Sammy? Me. Thank God. I thought my plebe internet hit. I'm like, oh man, I'm gonna kill AT and T. Like I hate these guys, but good. That's great. <laughs> no, you're Are kind you- of getting a little C three PO there. Really? Oh my goodness. Boys, yeah. All right. Am I better? Am I better now? Much better. You're a little pixelated, but you know you're you're coming back. I think. I'm pixelated. Goodness, I get this HD mic. What is this even all for? Um, hey, pixelation got me through puberty. So yeah, I mean, just, just just call kitchen, man. Like have them figure out your technical difficulty. <laughs> That's what's so tilting is if I'm going to be able to roast kitchen about his internet quality, like I need to have mine top notch. So yes, I am. I'm mega tilting uh, right now. Um, yeah. So what I was trying to say was just learning how to play DFS versus knowing the NFL inside out. That was a that was a game changing moment for me and. Uh, I now, uh, I can't go back. I feel like I've done my red pill, blue pill. Sammy, your eyes lit up when Alex started talking about baseball. Have you been able to apply anything from baseball DFS to NFL? Has that helped you at all? Um, You know, yes and no. I think for the same reasons that, that, you know, Alex is saying, and, you know, I think we're all big fans of Blender and we've all kind of like tuned in and started listening to his stuff. And, you know, he, he has the big, like, you know, saying, just play whoever you want, just make lineups that make sense and making lineups that make sense specifically in GPPs, like really trumps, like when we all start the games, right? Like I started playing baseball DFS because I played fantasy baseball, like seasonal. Right. And so I'm like, Oh, I know these guys better than other people. Like I study these guys like in and out, you know, through and through, I know the game. I know the players um, and it's really like less about knowing the players and more about knowing the game, if that makes sense. And, and I know you guys know what I'm talking about, but you know, like having that kind of detachment and really looking at it through a game theory lens rather than a like, Oh, I know this sport so well. And in football, it's the most prevalent, right? Because everybody thinks they're like a fantasy football God. They got their home league trophy on their, on their shelf. They're like, yeah, I know fantasy football, bro. Alvin Kamara, bro. And it's like, that doesn't help you that much when it comes to DFS Um, really like understanding correlations and putting together like lineups holistically and concentrating on that big picture stuff is way more important than like knowing players, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, The way I've been thinking about it too, is I do think now, you know, I could come in an hour before lock without having looked at anything on the slate, you know, projections are updated and build a pretty good lineup just a pretty good lineup without much context at all, other than the the two sets of projection numbers. I do still think there's obviously an advantage to understanding some of the nuance, what player uh, their ceilings are relative to their athletic profile, where um, usage is trending. But that said, it feels like an 80-20 thing, right? Where you're getting 80% of the benefits from like 20% of the work, where it's like, if you just have those numbers and you understand the correlation, you're going to get 80% of it. And then we're all, you know, killing ourselves deep in the weeds to get that extra 10, 15, 20% edge. But I do think the majority of that edge just comes in understanding how to play the game and the correlations. Yeah, big big time. And, you know, we talked about cash versus GPP. Like I've always been a bigger cash player, right? Because that's what made sense to me. And like letting go of the value and letting go of the good plays uh, is a tough thing to do in your mind, right? It, It really is. Um, but that's what it takes to, to really be a good GPP player. You know what I mean? And, and that's, and that's kind of what I'm trying to like branch out into. Cause I really do think cash games, I mean, they just get harder and harder and eventually like, yeah, you can like make some profit every year, but are you like going to just have a complete smash and get rich? 
nah, you're, you're going to do that through tournaments. So that's a, yeah, I think that's going to be a big focus, not just for me, but for a lot of people moving forward. Yeah. And, and I do, I do agree with this about Pollard being an example of a guy that a lot of people who are in the weeds with prospect profiles are very excited about what to- Tony Pollard could do as a pass catcher versus say when Leonard Fournette opens up and you are just clutching your rosary beads and hoping he falls in the red zone twice because he's not breaking off 85 yard runs in the, in the passing game. So I, again, I'm not discounting that. I do think there is some value there. I just don't think it is uh, even close to um, more than half or even 80% of where you get the most value. Uh, my bad. Yeah, it, it, hey, hey, it's more important to know that Deke is bad than it was to know that Pollard is good. <laughs> very true. Well, very true. It's also important to know that uh, Mike McCarthy has a very long history of trying to establish the run at bad times to establish the run. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so uh, he had a long history of trying to make the Ahmad Green thing work. He tried to make, uh, he tried to make oh, the Eddie Lacy thing work. One year, bro. He did. he did. And yeah. then after that, he had like an 850 yard season doing dust. <laughs> but, yeah, um, I had him on a keeper league. I remember this fondly. For for those of you who are just uh, trickling in, we've been we've been bouncing all over the place. But uh, I'm here with Sammy Reed. You guys know Sammy from the Gilcast Roto Grinders. I miss him writing the Reed option this this year on uh, Roto Grinders. So hopefully we'll get him back doing that. We're talking. I, hope, about- I had a, I had a kid, man. I had a kid, and I just said, <laughs> "How do you feel this, man?" I just I yeah, just three, had to, yeah. You got three. I don't. You, you're an absolute insane person, bro. <laughs> I, I just, you know, I was like, dude, it takes me so long to write this damn article and my wife's going to just kill me. And, you know, you got the kid around. I'm like, dude, I got to shut it down this year. I don't think I can deal with it. So that was, I, I hope I'll be back, but the wife's already clamoring for a second. So may, maybe it's dust, you know. And, uh, and let me introduce again, Alex here for people who are coming in late. Alex was the Santa behind the, the match here for the giveaway, but also does MLB NFL content for Roto Grinders, plays, uh, in all of the games, uh, across those sports. And so he's sticking around with us and we're going to talk, uh, through this slate a little bit here too. I think I don't want to speak for you guys. I'm flying uh, a little blind. You know, uh, we had the holidays, then we're trying yeah. to build some lineups for the three gamers. So my thought is we can kind of walk through this slate, uh, maybe from the top here, we can pull up some projections, some lineup HQ, maybe run some optimal and, and see what we're liking here early. If that sounds good to you guys. That sounds good. Can we, can we get a shout out for, for the people in here to follow Alex on Twitter? Yeah, and seriously. Alex- Alex is so sharp and like not many people know it as as they should. So you, you guys should do that. I, right I am now. dropping a link to both Alex and Sammy's Twitter here in the chat. You guys need to follow these guys right now, and then we will be able to continue. I mean, Sammy Reed still has a man's coin as his Twitter profile Bro. on there. It's, uh, I, do, you, do you remember when I went on the Stones live stream with Mike Possel and they and and I and I'm using the man's coin as my uh as as my card protector and the 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 announcers like are literally talking about it. They're like, what what is that? That's a really cool card protector. And like Yancey Eaton is in the in the uh, stream chat and he's like, man's coin, it's lit. And and they're like, <laughs> man's coin, it's lit. What? I mean, it's like the best. I, I'm gonna retweet this, like when we get off the stream. Like the best yeah. thing that You uh, no, I appreciate in, in all the shots. Like you use that as your de facto card protector, right? Oh, a hundred percent, and not just on live streams. Like every time I play, every time I play, and then I get, and then people will talk about it. Like these, 
you know, like random people at the casino, like this old Asian lady, like picked it up and I'm like starting to take pictures of it. She's like, what is this? I'm like, oh, it's physical cryptocurrency. Just like straight dead. Physical crypto. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Alex, I'll, I'll, I'll get you a man's coin. I'll get you a man's coin. Um, so when, where do you guys, because so for me, you know, you're kind of doing content throughout the week. So I'm, I got my spreadsheet going. I'm liking to update things because I need stuff to talk about on shows. If I didn't do content, I probably I'm checking in like Saturday night to start with, with my stuff. So where are you guys, first of all, with this slate and what is the first thing you guys do when you start to dig in to, uh, to build your lineups? So, so like cash lineup or GPP lineups? Let's, let's say GPP. So uh, Alex will probably have a better answer for this, but I like to really go to ownership. I like to understand yep. where the ownership's going to lie before I start deciding where I'm going to lie with my ownership. Yes. Yeah. First thing I do is I look at the over-unders because uh, I'm writing content early like you. If, if it wasn't for writing content, I probably wouldn't look at anything until Friday or Saturday morning. But uh, since I'm looking at it early before projected ownership even comes out, I'm looking at the over-unders. I'm looking at the pricing and the value. I can pretty much figure out where ownership is going to consolidate on teams. Because remember, I'm looking to play teams. I'm looking to correlate teams and games instead of individual plays. So that's the first thing I go to. One one question on that note that I'd be curious your thoughts, because like one thing that I've done a lot this year that I think has been helpful, but isn't necessarily the full puzzle is just a simple thing. I like looking at ceiling projections relative to ownership projection and just a quick way to kind of identify who are these players with a big ceiling that aren't going to be owned like that makes sense. Now, the thing that starts to get tricky, right, is who are the values that are such good values or so mispriced that the ownership doesn't matter as much and that those guys come into the consideration. Cause a lot of times now I find myself swinging so far in the other direction where I'm getting so contrarian, where I'm looking at all the best leverage plays. And so how do you guys start to juggle that and pull yourself back in of being like, you know what? I, I am going to play Tony Pollard. He's going to be 40% shock, but I, I don't care. I'm curious how you guys balance that kind of contrarian mindset with finding good chalk. Not the same. Sorry, go ahead. No, go for it, Sammy. I was just going to say, like, the, you know, one thing we talk about a lot on the Gilcast is like, oh, like, if I wouldn't play this guy in a GPP lineup, like, should I be playing him in cash? And a big part of, and and then we do, and we're idiots, right? Um, But then, you know, so much of of NFL DFS is every week there's like a handful of injuries, and then there's low price guys to fill in there, right? And so, the, one of the biggest parts is, do I play this guy or don't I play this guy, right? Is this good chalk or bad chalk? Um, like this week, I think Daryl Henderson is going to be a big pivot point, right? Um, and so if you think that the odds that that person won't pan out are like larger than the percentage of ownership, and that's something you need to decide for yourself, like that's a guy you should fade in tournaments. Like, you know, if, if you if basically you thought Tony Pollard was going to smash, um, you know, at, at 40%, and he has like an 80% chance of smashing, you should be playing him anyways. But if you think Daryl Henderson, say, has like a 50% chance of busting, but he's going to be like, you know, close to that own, maybe maybe that's a fade for you. I think that's kind of the like the calculation you try to go through. Is it similar for you, we're about, Well, we're talking about for starters. For starters, start making lists. You know, hmm. I think making lists is really important. Putting value, chalk, 
overpriced, underpriced, whatever works, whatever you need to stick in your head over the next whatever three or four days if you're going to look that far in advance. So you can cross-reference back and forth. Because once value comes out Friday night, right, that a guy who was limited in practice all week and played a full game on Sunday all of a sudden isn't going to play, that name is going to be in the front of your head. That's just how our brains work. We're biased people. We have a negative bias, too. That's just kind of natural. It's like a self-preservation thing. So if a value play sticks in our head, a good play sticks in our head for a long time, that gives us 48 hours to tell us why we shouldn't do it. Hmm. So once we get in, once we get an alternate, once we get a pivot, then that negative bias can just kick in and take over and take over what should have been a good play, the same play it was three or four days ago. It becomes bad play. Yeah. No, that's true. And where where do does uh projections uh not ownership but just fantasy point projections factor into your gpp play i know we've uh joked around a lot on here about being a hand builder or an opto bro um you know i hand build my main slate lineups but i like to look at the optimals see some plays that i might be missing that are showing up in a lot of places uh sammy do you use um kind of the optimizer projections to point you in the raw direction or is it way more of an art than a science it's way more of an art, bro. You know, you just got to understand it's an art. I mean, really, uh, I am a hand builder, bro. And I, and I found that I had more success. You know, some people are really good at like setting their percentages and spitting out 150 lineups and max entering. And where I started getting better at GPPs, like I used to just like burn money, like trying to like throw in a bunch of stuff into the Millie Makers and, you know, these these smaller tournaments with all these people. And it's like, look, that's you're you're playing lotteries in my opinion like if you really want to be you know play gpps dude start playing the high dollar single entry like three max you know the the 150 dollar power sweep that's a three max the spy the double spy and really concentrate on a couple of lineups um that that's what i've kind of found so in that sense to me it is more of an art um because because you are hand building and you're trying to make lineups that make sense uh, if I was doing 150 lineups, like, yeah, you'd be, you'd be in there tinkering with your percentages and, you know, all this stuff. I, I, I ain't got time for that. Uh, Alex, cause I think one, maybe the risk of, if you aren't ever really looking at projections or some optimals is that you might end up sacrificing too many projected points in, in your lineup. Is that a concern for you? If you're, if you're hand building, because obviously we know, Oh, maybe we'll sacrifice two projected points because, um, because the owner, oh, sorry, Alex, it's getting a little loud. <laughs> this is Alex's life, man. This is what happens when I was, you have like, I was trying kids. to push through and then I was like, I can't, I can't even think of what I'm trying to say right now. Alex was trying to push through too. He's like, man, bastard kids again. I mean, I, I, I will kind of, I will kind of answer that. Yeah. What a fight break out. Oh, Alex is back. Okay. Yeah, um, no, so what I was trying to say is how do you, um, how do you lean into it being an art uh, in building, but all of a sudden, you know, you don't want to put in your projected points and see that your lineup is like 40 projected points underneath an optimal probably is what I'm trying to say. I actually never add up the projected points of a lineup. I do try to look at how the floors and the ceilings relate with one another. And I try to make correlations with the games, yeah. but I try not to do that because I'm only making one to three lineups. So again, like baseball, you can't do that in baseball. You can never add up the projected points. It's never going to work. Yeah. Um, you need for, you have to look at, you know, I'll look at the, the projections. And I let them guide me in terms of like tiebreakers, maybe in terms of who's my core versus, you know, one guy versus this guy, especially in cash, but in GPPs, 
I'll have a core of, you know, maybe one or two games and one or two guys from each of those games. And then from there, I want to see for this guy to hit that ceiling, what needs to happen. I want to tell myself a story. The projections aren't always going to tell me that story. But the projections tell me, they tell me all the things I can't compute in my head. Yeah. So that's why I use them in the first place, because they can do all the work for me that literally my brain, the brain's a terrible computer. It just can't, well, can't and, do all the work. And that's another good point, Sammy, because I think one thing that people end up doing is if they are looking at projections, they end up double counting if they're hand building. Cause you're like, well, yeah. I, I like this guy. I think he's going to get more targets this week, or this is a shootout game. That's high pace. It's like, well, good projections already bake that in to those projections. So wh- where are you at in, in using right. projections uh, to inform your hand builds? Yeah. I, you know, for, for cash, I think they're essential um, because you really are going for like a higher floor, but for GPPs. Yeah. I really do think you're, you're trying to outdo the projections, right? You're really trying to like find outlier things. And like Alex said, you know, you tell yourself a story, what needs to happen for this to occur? Um, You know, we see it all the time with people winning these big tournaments. You're like, man, how did he get there? Like, I never thought this would happen. That's the whole thing. I mean, Bales was writing about this five years ago, right? Anti-fragility, taking advantage of when things go wonky. Every week in the NFL, we're like, man, this is so crazy. Like, we never would have thought this would happen. You need to take advantage of that, not be the sucker sitting there like, man, uh, this is so unlucky. Like, I didn't think this would happen. Like, take advantage of it. So that's – I think that's the whole part of, like, you know, projections. Like, no, nobody's top projected lineup is taking down GPPs. It just doesn't happen. No. It we also have no – we have such so much incomplete information in NFL. You know, we don't have 162-game samples. We don't have, you know – 600 opportunity samples like we do in baseball for, you know, a single season. And we say in baseball, you know, as baseball bros that one season is never enough, you know, 600 plate appearances, that's not enough. A thousand plate appearances isn't enough, but here we're making huge decisions in football for (laughs) tens of thousands of dollars on the last 25 targets that happened, you know, like you gotta, you gotta shift a little bit sometimes. Yeah, man. Like under understanding what you don't know, I mean, it's such a powerful thing in like so many areas of life, but you know, talking about NFL specifically, it's okay to say, I don't know better. Right. It, it really is. Um, that's, that's like step one to like really understanding things. So uh, I figured a way to kind of just jump us into talking about this slate. Uh, I am running just a couple optimals, although I put a little bit of correlation in here. So I did a quarterback to at least one pass catcher and then one bring back. And then I did another secondary correlation just to try to get us more in the ballpark of what maybe optimal GPP lineups would look like. So I figure we can just uh, talk through some of the stuff we're seeing. Like I said, I haven't been as in the weeds on the salary, the matchups, all that stuff here. Um, obviously they have some new value opening up. Let's see here what we're getting at quarterback. We're getting Jalen Hurts in a overwhelming amount of lineups. And then a Drew Locke, uh, looks like maybe a Derek Cardi special down here in the cheap range. Um, yeah, I, I blame Cardi for that a hundred percent. Anytime you don't like the optimals, you can just blame Cardi and be like, oh, he's wrong on this one. Yeah. Is, a, is Drew Locke in a dome or what's going on? Yeah. Drew Locke is, uh, they're on the road at, uh, at LA. So uh, the thing going for Drew Locke is these Broncos pass catchers are so cheap. <laughs> they're they're dirt cheap here, and I, I'm guessing they're popping. Yeah, you got Patrick here showing up, Jerry Judy showing up, and even Hamler down here. So if you want the uh, the blender vomit stack, Drew Locke might be your guy this week. But um, 
let's let's start with quarterback here and seeing uh, Jalen Hurts. Uh, where where are you guys at on him? It looks like he is going to be popular. He's shown a pretty high ceiling and floor. Is that some chalk you guys would be willing to eat or or getting off of it at that ownership? In tournaments, I'm getting on it a little bit. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to play him in one. I mean, I'm playing single entry in three max, so I'm not sure if I want to play him in one lineup or two lineups. Um, of course, there's an opportunity cost, and Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, I think, are in awesome spots. And I have to consider that opportunity cost. I can't just be like, all right, Jalen Hurts, awesome, jam it in, you know. Let's yeah. Roll. Um, how, you know, what do I want to do, you know, versus those other plays? And so there, that's where I'm not sure, but it's, it's a good, it's a good place for us to start because I think Jalen Hurts dictates a lot of the lineup because of his salary. Yeah. And I wonder, Sammy, the, the interesting thing about Hurts is he's going to be, looks like the second most popular quarterback play here, but no one has anyone they really want to stack him with. So is maybe the way of getting unique with Hurts actually stacking him with a pass catcher? I mean, the, the way to do it is to stack him with two pass catchers. I heard Deshaun Jackson. Let's go. Oh, no. Yes. <laughs> it never actually happens, though. <laughs> this is the thing with Deshaun Jackson. It hasn't happened since Michael Vick. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, he had that one highlight that one time. I mean, yeah, I I will say, and and maybe this is just, just gal brain, but, you know, I, I think Hertz is kind of the favorite to be uh, my cash game quarterback, right? Uh, just because he's shown this like immense floor, but let's not act like he doesn't have paths to failure. You know what I mean? Like even last week, I mean, they turned the ball over multiple times. He got sacked six times. Um, he's never been regarded as a great thrower, although he looked really good last week. Um, I, I think one of my GPP strategies this week will be to kind of leverage off of Hertz uh, and and get some Miles Sanders in my life. Honestly, like that's that's going to be a big point for me. I think. Yeah, Miles Sanders. I'm sorry. Oh no, go ahead, Alex. The Cowboys have been uh, they've been kind of a sieve when it comes to the run. Um, I don't really get into the hand in the dirt defense takes, but Leighton Van Der Esch hasn't been the same since he came back from the injury. <laughs> I mean, everything is just just giant holes in that Dallas defense. But I think if I was going to leverage, I'd probably uh, if I'm not playing Hurts, I'm probably playing the Cowboys DST and stacking it with whomever starts being in the backfield for Dallas. I yeah. mean, the, the, sharp, the sharp thing to do is, is the Jameis Winston, where you play the, the quarterback and the opposing defense. You know? <laughs> like, like last week, it would have it been great. You know, you had Hurts and the Arizona defense. They put up like 18 points. It was amazing. Uh, and, uh, I, I, miss, I miss Jameis Winston, you guys. I, yeah. and I think that's a great point that Alex is talking about. And it was actually one of the things that I clipped uh, that Bales had uh, for identifying uh, sneaky defensive plays, which by the way, if you guys haven't seen that video, I put a compilation video out of the top tips from my guests uh, this year. Uh, lots of good single entry, three max GPP strategy stuff, but Bales. There's going to be zero coming from this show, by the way. <laughs> no, no, I, we are going to do an addendum. Uh, it's going to be Sammy Reed and Alex talking about Korean baseball and we will, we will add it. In. <laughs> um, but what he was Some saying enough, buddy. was that same thing of like, and I think that's a really good way of thinking about how to handle chalk is, okay, if we're not, say, super confident in Jalen Hurts at chalk, how can we leverage that with the Cowboys' D, with maybe using Miles Sanders instead, um, where everyone assumes, okay, the Eagles are going to score points. It's going to be all through Jalen Hurts. And it's like, well, what if they don't score points? Or what if they do score points and it's not through Hurts? And so I like that line of thinking of thinking, how can we actually leverage that specific chalky play? 
Well, also, what if Hertz only scores 16 to 20? Like, maybe he doesn't have to be awful, but for him to own, he's such a volatile talent that for him to only score 16 to 20, some bad shit's going to happen, <laughs> right? Like, there's going to be a fumble. There's going to be some sacks. There's going to be, you know, some scrambles that instead of becoming an eight-yard run is a four-yard loss. Yeah. Those things are going to happen. Yep. Um, let's jump over here. You know, obviously I set a rule on this to stack with one pass catcher. It is interesting. Um, daughter here. Uh, I think he has a fairly decent projection here at 10.54 tight end. Pretty gross. I mean, one thing to note is I believe Goddard had eight targets last week and Ertz had seven targets. So Ertz down there, I believe is 3,100 at tight end. Um, if Goddard is the kind of chalky way to stack, Hurts this week. I, I think you could definitely make a case for Ertz, even though Sammy, it pains me to tout an old like Zach Ertz. I mean, there's there's going to be some olds in my lineup this week, man. I don't <laughs> I don't like it, but you know, do you guys follow that uh, that Twitter account? Did Zach Ertz break a tackle? Oh, and it God. just tweet, it just tweets out no every Sunday. <laughs> what was the last time that happened? <laughs> <laughs> Probably a that's I, I i told you guys i'm gonna make a burner account called did nate noling take an l and i'm just gonna <laughs> no every sunday <laughs> that would be a really good one um so yeah so that i think that's an interesting dynamic there it does look like uh rg has him right now at 15 percent, which is a pretty high mark so maybe maybe we are getting off of this jalen hurt stuff at this ownership just because it's hard to to stack him i like the defensive call i like the miles sanders call let's go look at some of these other lineups for ideas maybe we'll head over here to running back see who we're getting david montgomery who liked the price of bitcoin just continues to go up and up and up and it does not look like the ownership is ticking down with the price hike jd mckissick who is a glorified wide receiver here with uh I guess we're going to have to keep tabs on the Antonio Gibson news. Sounds like he might play. Um, Eckler, Melvin Gordon without Philip Lindsay, David Johnson without Duke Johnson, and then James Robinson's questionable here. You guys have any snap takes on some of the optimal running backs right now? Uh, uh, snap, snap take is, is Trubisky stacks, baby. To leverage the Montgomery ownership. Yeah, and, and you know, it's tough because there's honestly there's not that much about Montgomery that screams you should be fading him. I mean, really what we're looking for is like teams that are committed to using their running back and he doesn't share a lot of work. Montgomery actually checks those boxes. Um, but at the end of the day, at some point the guy just gets so expensive and people continue to like him more and more. Um you know, it's like, dude, let's get some Trubisky and Cole Komet going, baby. Let's do it. <laughs> and that we had talked about that on the Swolecast earlier this week because I was like, I love that um, with Montgomery as chalk. But then I'm looking over here, and it seems like people are on it. Twelve percent ownership for Trubisky. It, I, I like Mitch Trubisky when he's five percent. I don't know if I love him oh. as much as he's twelve percent. This is this is terrible. All right, scratch it all. Make it Allen Robinson. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> the, the is Jacksonville's kind of just for years now it's just this evergreen matchup for people to play against so it, it could be you know it could be Patrick Mahomes it could be Mitchell Trubisky it could be Josh Rosen and people are going to play against Jacksonville well I hate to go back to this but what we might want the Trubisky leverage to be on David Montgomery is what the Drew Locke to pass catcher leverage might be on Melvin Gordon because if Melvin Gordon's going to be super popular here, lock that might be the way to go to leverage. I mean, let me just tell you, as a general rule, and this and this will hold. This is evergreen content. If Melvin Gordon is chalk, do not play him. 
<laughs> also, the other side of the flow chart, if Melvin Gordon is not chalk, still don't play him. Yeah. Um, Melvin Gordon uh, here. Uh, <laughs> right you, got, you got that written down? Yeah, I am, I'm with Sammy. I'm pretty scared of Melvin Gordon chalk. Uh, I'm not. The one other interesting thing is Royce Freeman is questionable too. I mean, I guess if he has that entire backfield to himself, um, the pass to failure start um, getting less and less, but I'm with you. I think I'm more interested in those pass catchers there. What about Austin Eckler? Because he's still catching a lot of passes, but he's now losing this goal line work to Kalen Balage. Are we worried about uh, a chalky Austin Eckler here? Yes. Um, yes, in tournaments, I am. And I love playing Eckler in cash because he's got such a high floor with the receptions. But the reality is, if you're trying to bink a tournament, you need guys who have paths to multiple touchdowns. Um, And the fact that Eckler doesn't get work from the one-yard line really limits his ceiling ability. Um, As somebody who owns him in a lot of seasonal leagues, it's very (laughs) tilting to see old-ass Kalen Balaj come in. You're just like, come on, bro. Like, Eckler's built like Maurice Jones-Drew. Like, this guy can chunk fools at the goal line. What are you doing? Um, Have you seen the guy's abs? It's out of control. And they take him out for Kalen Balage. Um, so for me, that's that's kind of a, in, in tournaments, that makes me uh, pretty weary uh, because his top end just doesn't seem to be as high as it should be. Yeah. And if we do uh, my quick hack here to identify some tournament plays here, I'm sorting by ceiling, tabbing through at some ownership here. Uh, McKissick, uh, that, that's obviously going to be dependent on if Antonio Gibson plays, I believe, this kind of. So let's talk about Gibson for a minute. Yeah. Um, because there is honestly, I, in my opinion, I think there's a lot of value in Gibson in tournaments because people are always so hesitant to play guys their first game off of injury, right? Uh, yeah. but, we, but we've seen it several times this year. Guys come back, came back from injury and smashed in their first game, right? We saw it with Austin Eckler. Nobody wanted to play Eckler at whatever, 6.1K because it was his first game. They weren't sure I was going to be used, right? Um, who, who else did we see it with? We saw it with the uh, God. I'm, we see it with I'm, a lot of COVID guys coming back too. Yeah, God, I'm I'm blanking I'm blanking here uh, on a couple of the guys that came back, but they like smack. Oh, oh uh, Christian McCaffrey, right? Yeah. R- remember the game CMC came back and he dropped like 37 and then dipped out again. But people <laughs> are really hesitant to play these guys because it's like, oh, I'm gonna kind of wait and see. In tournaments, not waiting and seeing can can really help out. I, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I was just pulling up some of the stuff here. Uh, my buddy Edwin, he, he thinks uh, Gibson's on the right side here of being active just by getting in all of these limited participations this week. So I think that's um, I think that's a really good call there. Uh, James Robinson, another guy with a Q tag that isn't going to be too popular. Same with Ezekiel Elliott. I mean, no, no one Robot, robot Pete. Is he is he pixelating again? Yeah. Call Kitchen, baby. David Kitchen, get him on the line. Hit up the DMs. I am tilting. I am tilting. Um. Anyways, <laughs> looking at the another another guy I'd be interested in who's rolling right now. We're not getting you, buddy. You guys aren't big. Damn it. I'm Robot Pete. Nobody can hear me. I'm frozen on the screen. Uh, <laughs> Alex, well, well, himself out. What, what's your opinion on 
on leveraging like guys that are coming just off of injury. Uh, do you do you think there's overall like enough upside in that, or do you think like it's just not safe enough? And I know it's case by case, but like, is that something you try to go out of your way to do? It's you know it's dependent on the injury for me. Um, I don't really listen to the ESPN uh, podcast very much, like the the fantasy focus, whatever it's called. Uh, but the Friday shows, no, no. I listen to the Friday shows uh, back in the day, and I learned a lot from that lady, Savanya Bell, who's uh, the doctor. Yeah, and I learned a lot about what different injuries do and how long they linger. So if a guy has a high ankle sprain and he's out four to six weeks, he's probably fine if they're playing him. If the guy has a low ankle sprain and he's playing the next week, then maybe I get a little cautious. You know, because those tend to linger. If a guy's got a concussion and then he plays the, the very next week, I'm like, eh, I'm not too sure. But if a guy's been out two or three weeks with a concussion, like, let's roll. Like, let's go. He's got to be good by now. You know, the, the brain swelling has got to have gone down by now. If it's enough to catch a ball, that's all I give a shit about. <laughs> am, am I back? Am I, am I not pixelated You're anymore? Right. The deposit king is back, baby. Gee, this is, I mean, that's the thing, guys. Uh, everyone who I said I was sending $100 to, uh, that's no longer happening. I am spending that all on Ethernet cables. Uh, no, I don't know what the deal is here. I probably just needed to restart my computer. I have, you know, Excel files with Google comments a mile long. So too, I have too many right. tabs. It's, it's all right, man. Too yeah. many tabs. Yeah. Um, all right, let's, let's talk o- tab over to wide receiver here. Um, let's see if I can get the screen share back in a second. I mean, the two premium wide receivers this week, are going to be Calvin Ridley and Tyree Kill. We haven't talked about that game much. I mean, it's super expensive to stack that. Like you, in a perfect world, you just do Mahomes, Kelsey Hill, and you bring it back with Ridley. Easy game. But then I think <laughs> you have like thirty two hundred dollars left per player. So, what are your guys' thoughts on this Chiefs Atlanta game? Because the Chiefs are really kind of the only premium top end team on the slate this week. Well, you asked what I thought. You know how I approach projections and whatnot. When I see a guy projected like Calvin Ridley is over Tyreek Hill, it makes my eyes pop out um, in terms of performance and ownership. And then like an, oh shit, what if I leave this guy out? Like Because the gap between them is like, it's almost a full point, isn't it? It's like a point and a half. Yeah, I'm looking here. It looks yeah. like Cardi has him 20.56. Yeah, Tyreek Hill 19.21. That's pretty huge. So it's hard to leave out Ridley. You know, Ridley gets into that really good chalk level and he's not very cheap. Sammy, what is your thought on, you know, part of, I, I understand that Ridley is projecting. Well, uh, this is my hand in the dirt. Take this feels like a bad spot for the Falcons on the road. Well, I mean, they're not in a dome. So I, obviously you got to chop their projections in half. I mean, look, so <laughs> I, I agree. Like Ridley is definitely good chalk and Ridley is going to be in my cash game lineup almost a hundred percent likely because yeah. he projects out so well. And we've really seen uh, just him smash all sorts of, of volume with Julio Jones out. Julio's out again this week. However, um, there are, you know, in tournaments, you have to understand there are still paths to failure, right? You know, who knows if the Chiefs just start like rolling coverage over or doubling him or he has a bad game, et cetera. Um, you know, and, and you can really leverage off of him, right? Look at Russell Gage. Russell Gage has been doing great. Um, and, and really, I think, narrowly missed a really big game last week. Uh, and he still did really well. So I think in tournaments, you, it, whenever you have a game that's going to be like really smashy and really chalky, I think one of the best things to do is approach that game is look at the secondary options. So you still get exposure to that game 
without paying the price or the ownership tax. So for, for me, Russell Gage is one of those guys that, that I think I'll be looking at a lot in tournaments. Yeah. And I feel like, Alex, that's always the question, too, for either the super popular games or the super chalky uh, games is, are you just going to exit out and not touch it? Or are you going to try to get uh, cute in there? You know, your your Michael Hardmans, your Russell Gages, your Hayden Hurst. What is your reaction for this game? Well, one is, you know, you just onslaught it. Three, two stack, you know, sack three on your KC side, two on the Falcon side. That's a way to be contrarian. Another is to exit out, as you just noted. Another is to go with these, like, really small, you know, go with, say, like, Mahomes Bell Hardman, right? You can do something like that and get really ugly and go with Gage, and then then your secondary stack is something that costs a lot more. Another story you can tell yourself is that the Chiefs went 45-6, to six, <laughs> and you just go 3-0 because that's, actually, that's a realistic scenario here. Yeah, that the, that the that Atlanta gets two field goals and that's about it. What? I mean, Matt Matt Ryan has never let us down, so I don't see that being <laughs> not not Matt Ryan's house. Um, yeah, not on the road. Hey, Chiefs DST, like what's up? Yeah, yeah. Bell Bell Chiefs DST, and just say what what if eighty percent of the points go through those two? Right. Um. Uh, real quick, circling back on that, I'm curious both of your guys' thoughts. Alex, you mentioned the kind of onslaught, you know, a 3-2. Uh, what is your cutoff for contest size of pulling that off? I mean, it's it's obviously very unlikely that a 3-2 is going to take down the millimaker, but it's incredibly viable in a 200-person field. To what size would you push a game onslaught uh, until it doesn't become viable? Maybe a thousand, only because a thousand gets a lot of dead money in there. I mean, optimally, I'm probably thinking more like six hundred. But once a contest is like five hundred dollars, and there are a thousand, there are thousand entrants in there. There's like three hundred, four hundred people who have no business being in that contest. So I almost throw it out of my brain. They're paying the rake. Hmm. Um, so it depends on the buy-in and the size. It depends on the buy-in. I would say. Yeah. To get the size. Well, Pete, I, and I'm sure you've probably talked about this before, but I think it's a really good point because I think, you know, when you're talking about you can't like do these like crazy stacks in like the Millie Maker and the reasons why not. Because I think when a lot of people are first starting out, they're like, wow, I need to like do this crazy onslaught to like take down a giant tournament. Yeah. And it turns out not to be the case. Can you can you kind of go into that a little more for, you know, for the people? Yeah, well, no, it, it, it's a little hard right now because we've seen these past Millie Maker lineups that do these super weird core where it has Allen Robinson and David Montgomery and like Corey Davis and uh, I don't know, was it Derek, Derek Henry? Derek you know? Henry yeah. Where it's like with no bring back. And so the correlation's <laughs> all thrown out. But the, the, the thought behind that, right, is just the amount of things you have to get right in that super large field. And, you know, that's part of the thing uh, Stuart was talking about in the, in the video as well, just correlation in general, you're hitting a nine leg parlay to win a million dollars in that 600 person field that Alex is talking about. If you are the only one that onslaughts that game that heavy, and that's the one game that goes off, all you had to do was get one thing right. And you're probably at least top 10 in the contest, depending on what your other stuff does. So I think uh, I think it's a good point, and I think it's something to take in consideration too of just knowing like, hey, I do want to stack this game or onslaught it. Well, make sure you're going in and selecting a contest that will reward that strategy. Because if you're tossing yeah. that into the three dollar play action with two hundred thousand people, I, I I will bet against you winning a tournament with five or six guys from that game <laughs> that are expensive. So 
I, I think that's the other point to it too, is the price. You know, the higher the price and the cost of that onslaught, the less likely it is going to be that you can take that down. Now, if you want to do your Drew Locke double and you want to bring it back with Eckler and Keenan, because those prices are so cheap, you might be able to get the ceiling elsewhere uh, at other places in your lineup. Does that stuff check out for you, Alex? It does. And something I've been wondering lately, I mean, obviously like running quarterbacks make good naked options as, uh, you know, they could naked options to kind of start our lineups like a guy like Jalen Hurts. But I've been wondering sometimes, and this could be a galaxy brain thought, but a chalky guy like Calvin Ridley or Tyreek Hill playing just one of them with no bring back. Sure. That's going to be very common amongst bad lineups that are going to be dead anyway, but sharp players who are really putting forth great lineups, they're not going to do that. And is there an edge in, so is there then a one edge, you know, kind of a galaxy brain edge in just one-offing a Calvin Ridley or a Tyree Kill or a Travis Kelsey. I'm not sure. It's, it's a thought that's been in my head over the last week or two. Yeah, and is that game, is that the later slaughter? Is that a 1 p.m. game this week? Because that's... Uh, that's, a, that's a good question if you're an East Coaster. Yeah. <laughs> that no, is it's, a, it's an early game it's an early game because that's yeah. the other thing we've i've talked about and has been a big part of my strategy this year too is like when you have these chalky expensive options it's so much easier when they're the late game because you can put tyree kill or kelsey in your flex and if you're crushing you let it ride and if you're buried then you can get more creative so it's a little harder to attack those kind of games at the 1 p.m. slot. Um, Sammy, I had a question here for you, and then uh, we'll wrap up by building a lineup. Um, Does Sammy ever consider using running backs from both sides of one game in GPPs or a strict no? Uh, I think the answer is yes. And I think the initial, like the initial part of it is opposing running backs are negatively correlated. So you, you know, you're like, oh yeah, I can't do that. But stylistically, um, if those running backs specifically are like good, pass catching options. Austin Eckler would be a great example of this. You know, there are, there are running backs that benefit from negative game scripts um, because they're used so much in the passing game. So uh, I think the answer is yes, but it depends on the running backs. You don't want, you know, two like two down plotters because, you know, like you don't want Derrick Henry uh, and, you know, I don't know, some, some other guy that doesn't catch passes together. You want Austin Eckler. Um, you know, you want guys like that. So I think that's the answer for sure. Yeah. I, I definitely think there's uh situations where, where it's uh it's viable. Let's um, let's build a lineup here, guys. Um, you must do that on a DFS show. You must build a lineup. I will right. say here, I have the main slate league up. Looks like we got eight spots left. Um, I posted it in the Discord. Um, I will post it right now as well. If you guys want to join and fill this, we got eight spots left. Um, All right, let's do this. Let's pull it all together now. All of our beautiful GPP brain thoughts. Um, Let's start with Sammy, and then we'll go Alex, and then uh, and then I'll pick. So, Sammy, do you have a stack, a player, anything you'd like to start us off with here? Oh man, this is this is uh this is this is really. Just such a such a tough scene for me. Um, I want to go Herbert and Keenan Allen. Ooh, I Ooh, love it. So the uh, the thing, obviously, with Keenan, right, is he's been questionable this week with the hamstring. Sounds like he's gonna gonna go. I think we'll have to um, check out the pregame reports. Uh, I. I still feel so burned when he screamed in the camera camera and told me not to sit him, Sammy. But 
We're GPP bros. We don't get you know bogged down by recency bias. We're GPP bros. Austin Eckler, big chalk. Nobody likes Keenan Allen right now. Like everybody nope. is playing Keenan Allen in week four, and everybody hates him because he straight just burned everybody the last time we saw him. Um, I'm I'm back in. Let's go. Let's GPP Galbrand it. All right, Alex, do you want to continue down this stack, double stack, bring back, or you want to go uh, go off the board and then we'll circle back to it? I'm going to bring it back with Jerry Judy because in these in a big total where Denver's involved, like Drew Locke, his intended air yards per pass attempt goes up to like 12, 13 yards. It's, it, it's insane the deep throws that he gets. And Jerry Judy gets up like a third of those air yards. So if we're going to get some of those prayer yards that are going to connect – Jerry Judy is the best bet. If you just look at the targets, you're going to see that the targets are pretty even between uh, him, Patrick, and Font, and even Hamler. But if you look at the air yards, who has the biggest chance to hit their ceiling? It's probably Judy. This is how you know we're making a good GPP lineup, guys. We just got hit with the bomb. <laughs> That's how we know we're on the right track. Yes. Hey, yes. You got to tell um, a story. Say we started the story with Once Upon a Time. You got to go on with it. Yeah, I'm going to go. Yeah, this, this, is, this is my fault. Yeah, I uh, I don't want to – I want to make sure we don't have any plays over 10% projected ownership. I mean, that's the mark of a bad GPP lineup. I will uh, do the guy we were talking about earlier, Miles Sanders. If we do think Hurts is going to be super popular and we think those points could come elsewhere against a bad Dallas defense, let's say Miles Sanders has a massive day here at sub-10% ownership. Love it. All right, so we need to we need to save a little salary. Uh, so we're we're getting in a parham at tight end, and we're gonna keep this. We're gonna make the stack massive. All right, parham baby. So we have no Hunter Henry. We have XFL star Donald Parham Jr. of the Dallas Renegades fame, balling out here. Twenty five hundred stone men. I think it definitely makes sense to correlate the tight end here at a rock bottom price. Um, Alex, are you going to give us one of your onslaught specials here for a small field? Or are we going to go, uh, with something else? Uh, from here, I think I want to open up some more and we have so much, uh, ownership to work with right now that it kind of doesn't matter. Can we fit in? Let me see here. Can we just jam in Ridley here? I bet we can. Let's do it. Because one, when I build my lineup and I see those ownership numbers, I see those orange numbers so low, I'm like, fuck, I can do whatever I want right now. Yeah. So Eric mentions this thing here. And again, I, I do have this in this 200-man uh, lineup just right now. But let's let's think of this lineup as like a sub 1,000-person field, what we're kind of building for here. And then the one thing I'll say, Eric, and you know, we've talked about it on the tilt space and stuff too with, with Leone is one of the benefits of getting, you know, even somewhat aggressively contrarian in a 200 person field is you're getting on a different build than everyone else. Everyone else is putting in similar to a chalk lineup with a few pivots generally in those type of fields. So just going with a game stack just going contrarian off some of those chop pieces is going to give you a better chance of lapping a lot of similarly tight built lineups. So I don't think it's bad to be really contrarian, even in small fields, as long as you're not making just dumb plays. Let's, um, let's get in another chief then, right? Like if we have Ridley crushing here, do we want to play Lev Bell? Where it's like, <laughs> so we're going, I think we're doing we're it. Path to destruction. <laughs> 
I just, I feel gross. I, I don't think we could afford Kelsey or Tyreek in this lineup, but maybe we can pull off Bell. I feel so. Just- so are we definitely playing the Chiefs DST also? Well, if we have Ridley, I don't know if we want to do that. It's I I I, I honestly think that's okay because you're yeah. telling the story that the Chiefs go up big, you know, and then Atlanta's just like throwing all over the place, like. both both the dst and ridley benefit from a lot of pass attempts let's put it that way yes yes all right how how gross is the jets dst this week i think it's three thousand three thousand or or two thousand yeah is that possible it can be done i mean it can be done the only problem is they're not playing sean mcveigh this week so you know they don't have a fake sharp to tee off on yeah that's that's very (laughs) tough that's very tough um but they are on a winning streak so maybe ride that momentum yeah um okay if we do go chiefs d here uh who it's either alex or sammy who's rounding us out with a forty two hundred dollar flex uh give it give it to alex i i threw out the chiefs uh dst i am uh i am low on value just looking at some so the projections start looking at guys like AJ Green. I'm not fucking touching AJ Green. Darius Slayton in a really low. Oh, you're a coward. Touching it. We could. Um, <laughs> but a guy who I really like, I wrote him up um, in my usage column the last couple of weeks, Michael Gallup. Yeah. If, can we fit Michael Gallup in there? We can. Andy correlates there with Miles Sanders. Oh, this yeah. is great. This, this is a winner. This is if, – if any of you guys who won the spy contest use this – um. I think we should like re- get half the money or something. Is that something we can yeah. we can do? That's the that's the thing. You actually then have to give us uh, all the money back. It's uh, it's a short term <laughs> microfinance loan that we're doing, right, Alex? Yeah, that's right. This, this lineup is amazing. <laughs> this is going to win. Two point four percent. And uh, and yeah, another thing you could do. I, I think this lineup for a thousand person field makes a ton of sense. Say you were in a two hundred person field. I did see Tim Patrick who was popping in optimals there. If you were in a super small field and you just wanted to onslaught that game with two Denver receivers, three three uh, Chargers, I think that would be viable as well. But I think in the context of this lineup and a thousand field size, Michael Gallup there looks pretty nice. So um, we did it, guys. We just built a winner. We built a winner. Well, I'm I'm screen I'm screenshotting this and I'm entering it into all the yes, high dollars. Please that will not be duped. Don't dupe me, Sam. Don't dupe him, bro. Um, all right. This is what we're gonna do. I'm going to uh wrap this up, give these guys their proper goodbyes. I'm gonna roll the roto grinders in scene, and then I will do a couple uh alternates uh drawings. You guys don't have to stick around for this if you don't want, but I do want to make sure I get a couple alternates on the record in case I can't get a hold of everyone. So Sammy Reed. Thank you so much for joining today. Uh, I believe I believe I'm hopping on the Gilcast next Sunday because this yes. coming week I am becoming a cash game player for Week 17. I'm turning in my GPP bro card and I'm becoming a cash game guy. So yeah. I will see but, you, Sammy, in a week. Week 17, Week 17 is so wild. It's kind of like GPP and cash. <laughs> it's really like this whole Dow brain. Like that's that's why we gotta have you. Oh, yeah. Don't worry, dude. I'm going to have my want plays, my wish plays. It's going to be an epic cash game week for me. So, yes, Sammy, uh, where can we find you? I plugged your Twitter earlier. You're on the Gilcast, and we need to twist your arm back into writing a column again. Yeah, I mean, that's that's really it, man. Like, it's all gone downhill since I had a kid. The content creation, all that stuff, it's just like, shh, I don't know how you do it, Alex, man. You're you're freaking amazing. But at Sammy Reed FI, and listen to the Gilcast. You can hear all the you know, terrible decisions we made throughout the week and, and, and roast each other for it. It's, it's really, uh, it's really cathartic when we get it out. 
I'm, I'm sure people, uh, you know, I would assume 90% of people, 95% watching this are familiar with the Gilcast. But if you're not listening to that, I don't care if you uh, don't play cash. Uh, it is the most entertaining listen each week. Uh, incredible rapport between Sammy, Nate, and, uh, and Davis. So please, please check that out if you're not. And then Alex, my guy over here, Santa Claus coming in, giving out multiple spy entries with me. Thank you so much for, uh, for that super kind gesture. And it was, uh, it was great that you stuck around and gave us some of uh, your GPP knowledge as well, man. Thank you, Pete. Yeah, this was a fun day. Awesome. Well, like I said, uh, if you guys uh, want to stick around and see some alternates, I'll do that in a second. If you guys are not subscribed to the channel, please do so. Uh, even when I'm not bribing you with spy entries, your, your likes and subs are still appreciated. Good luck today, guys. Enjoy the three-game slate. Enjoy the full main slate tomorrow, our last really good one of the year uh, for main slates. And then I'll be back on Monday with uh, with my lineup review. Uh, appreciate you guys. We'll see you after the jump.